It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Ben Hill. I started off too muted. Now I'm trying to pump the energy level up. What's going on, dudes? I was going to say that that just like steadily increased. I imagine like as the intro music was coming down, you just decided you were going to increase your own slow wave. Yeah. I just wanted to start yelling at all of you. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, that's the energy to bring at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. I liked it. It added energy. (laughs) Energy. It's like half the show anyway. It's just me yelling about random things. Um, So welcome into this edition of the show before the show, talking all things minor league baseball as we greet you in the middle of July, big week coming up. Uh, across a baseball spectrum, the Futures game this weekend, Major League Baseball's first-year player draft coming up, uh, the All-Star game, of course, next week in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium, and uh, all kinds of uh, big headlines on the table today, and we will be discussing all that and more. Uh, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and uh, get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, we have been on a good role of getting a lot of really cool emails from people. So uh, chime in, join the conversation, give us some uh, much needed praise because we, uh, we crave your words of approval. Um, so let's dive in. We're talking uh, with uh, our good pal, Ben, to kick off this week's show, who's been a busy man. Uh, ben Hill back from Wisconsin and Minnesota. We're going to talk a little bit about those uh, stops, but before we get to them, we are going to dive into uh, a conversation that is lighting up the internet. I would imagine. Anyway, uh, I haven't been on <laughs> I haven't been on the internet much today. But Ben tweeted uh, just a little while ago today. "Quote: Tonight, the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles are staging 2010s night, a celebration of quote our most recent decade. Uh, what, from a pop culture standpoint, defined the 2010s? And Ben posits uh, that perhaps it's arguing about the color of a dress, uh, which I do remember." losing my mind over the first time that I realized that uh, somebody did not see it as the same color as me. What do you guys take here? First of all, it makes me feel ancient. Like I'm one foot in the grave that we're having a minor league promotions night about the 2010s because that decade is already behind us. Um, But uh, let's, let's hear it. What do you got for the 2010s? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do want to say this tweet is uh, lighting up the internet. Um, As we're talking right now, it's been, uh, it's been live for about half an hour and it has, uh, I believe uh, zero likes. (laughs) And one reply, but it's a very interesting topic per usual. People are uh, trying to think it over. They really are. You know. Oh, wait. Okay. No, we got a second response. There better be a minute of silence for Harambe, which is a, a pretty good. Oh, good that is a very good one. That's a good one, Harambe. Yeah, I, I came up with the, the dress color. You know, pop culture wise, it is hard to get some distance from. And I think a lot of things that were popular then are popular now. I guess there's stuff like Game of Thrones. I mean, Drake, I know, is a huge uh, part of the decade. In the early part of the decade, I had an uh, an iPod Nano, and the Nano had an FM radio on it. And I listened to a lot of Hot 97 in like 2011. 
New York's hip hop station. So I think of, especially when Lil Wayne got out of jail and he was jumping on like everyone's track, um, you know, the remixes, all these verses, like it was really exciting. Nicki Minaj had some great stuff that time. Um, I was really into her around like the Pink Friday days. So I think about, I guess uh, some of that hip, Rick Ross was all over the place. We don't hear as much uh, Rick Ross. Um, so I think about music that a little bit, but it's hard to define. I think just the nature of the decade, the tens, it just feels indistinct. Um, I don't know, because we, we have uh, distinct cultural signifiers for every decade, probably in our minds from the 1920s on, but the 1910s, eh, what, what was that about? And now the 2010s, I think it's just a tens thing. Well, the 1910s had the first world war at the end of it. Yeah, true. But you know, what's a world war in the scheme of things? <laughs> I mean, I don't think of it as the decade of the, the first world war, but I guess that was the defining feature. Of yeah. That the, time. the Archduke was assassinated. The Archduke was assassinated. Yeah. Also, um, man, I can't believe that the, uh, the dress thing was 2015. If you were to ask me when the dress thing happened, I would have been like, that ah, was like 2018, 2019. I can't believe See, I would have guessed 2013. Oh, interesting. I- okay. Probably because the last two years I felt like five. So everything just feels like it was longer than it was ago. Yeah. Uh, that And I would love to see the Mighty Muscles pull that off. I'm sure they can't for like just straight up baseball reasons have half the guys wear blue and black. And the that, other would guys cool. gold that would and be cool. That would be cool. I want to or see that happen. Maybe put staff members in t-shirts that have like the blue and black design on the front, the yellow and white one on the back, just so it confuses people when they went. Didn't or I see that be, person earlier in a blue and black shirt? Yeah, I was going to say, or have the ushers like change shirts. Yeah, yeah. Like when you were selling peanuts before, I saw you a certain way. Why? Why have things changed? Have I changed? Yeah. Um, I don't know. My mind, I guess, just goes to politics so often, which is probably not a great place to be. But you think about like the early 2010s was Obama, like an age of optimism, and then things changed in 2016. Um, But the other thing I'll bring up is just the rise of Twitter itself. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like, I don't know when you guys got Twitter. I think I, I got it in 2009. I, I did as well in 2009. Yeah. I should dig it up. I wrote a story on like how teams are utilizing new microblogging website, Twitter. That would be a kind of fun one to go back in. That would in, be. Uh, to think now, yeah, 13 years that a lot of us have been using Twitter. Right. Oh God. I don't want to think about how much time I spent on that platform and the other things I could have done with my life if it had not existed. <laughs> and maybe do something like because obviously the beginning of the decade, it was 140 characters, um, which seems so tight now. The decade prior to that, brace yourself, kids. Decade prior to that, people had to either text or email in their tweets, and then they would get posted on the website, like when Twitter first launched. I had a professor in college who was on Twitter like shortly after it launched. And yeah, if I remember correctly, you had to like text your tweets to a number and then they would get posted to your account. So it wasn't even like an app that you had like an actual interface with, which is so weird to think about now. Yeah, I mean, apps weren't even as big a thing. Yeah. In 20, I mean, they existed, but I remember, you know, going to school in 2008 and one of my friends had an iPhone and it was just like, look at you, fancy smits. Like, you can touch your phone. Like what, what he's like, Oh, let me look it up on Google maps on my phone. I'm like, Oh geez. Okay, fine. You have a map in your pocket. Look at you. No, I think you're right. Just smartphones in general. Yeah. They debuted in the zeros, but I think right. the 2010s were the, yeah, they, they become truly ubiquitous. I've always been a bit of a late adapter. I don't think I got a smartphone until 2012, but um, yeah, it was a decade in which it became virtually <laughs> every single person. And how much has, did that change us? Maybe this was a more meaningful decade. 
that is there is a very transformative decade which you know i guess they all are but um yeah i feel like the world uh took so many huge turns in the 2010s compared to like if you look at the 90s like yeah there were a lot of big moments but i feel like society changed in so many bigger ways and i think it's because the evolution of technology um if i had to uh pick a moment um i'm i'm currently looking through uh a story on marieclaire.com, which is the biggest pop culture moments of the 2010s. And there are a lot of things that I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Um, the uh, I think the moment that encapsulates the 2010s best is uh, the Fire Festival disaster, uh, which was 2017. Um, and if you haven't watched those documentaries, they are fantastic. Uh and that I feel like just encapsulates the decade uh, in a in a very um, kind of poignantly depressing way. But man, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to see if you guys remembered. Uh, apparently in 2010 was when Lady Gaga rolled out the meat dress. You remember the meat dress? Again, that feels like it could have been 2007. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'm with you there. Um, the uh, the conclusion of the uh, Harry Potter era, the the last of the movies came out. Apparently, Frozen came out in 2013, uh, mm-hmm. and Frozen talk about ubiquitous. Frozen has been everywhere ever since. Um, 2013 was also the year that Miley Cyrus made that weird face while dancing up on whatever that creep's name, Robin Thicke, uh, at the VMA. Remember that whole disaster? Gross. Um, 2014 was when John Travolta called Adina Menzel Adele Dazeem while introducing her (laughs) at the Oscars, um, which is a fantastic one. Uh, One that I think is, uh, as far as like things that really swept society, the ice bucket challenge. Uh, it was started in 2014, yeah, really apparently. Everybody, I never did the ice bucket challenge, but every, I mean, that was like the thing that you had to do if you were like a social media person. Um, 2017 was when uh, when Warren Beatty read out the wrong movie for Best Picture. When you read out that it was uh, Moonlight, and, or read out that it was La La Land, and Moonlight had actually won. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, all, all this stuff, that, well, a lot that of this stuff me. I had forgotten. Speaking of uh, misspeaking on a, a prominent stage and saying the wrong winner, remember the Steve Harvey hosting the Miss Universe? Pageant? Yes, yes, that too. And that was like the same year. Yeah, that was. I remember that because te- I think it was the Frisco Rough Riders did a promotion around that. Yes, uh, that does sound right. Promotion, uh, but he announced the wrong winner of the Miss Universe. <laughs> And then, like, they went to commercial, I think, and they had to come back and have Steve Harvey be like, uh, I screwed this <laughs> up. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, also, the the final moment, um, I feel like, in the, the pop culture sweep of the 2010s, Old Town Road came out in 2019. Oh, yeah. Oh, good one. Yeah. So that's that's another one. Um, yeah, man, that is uh, – what an exhausting decade. <laughs> I went from a, a spry youngster at the beginning of the decade to just an embittered old man by the end of it. It's great. You all and have that look, to look forward to. And now here we are. <laughs> that decade will happen to you as well someday. Look at the gray in my beard. It's uh, it's all from the 2010s. Um, but that is a great promotion. And I do feel ancient that uh, not only do I feel ancient that we're we're now old enough and we're out of time in, in the world where we can have a 2010s night. But that means that I actually got my first job in baseball technically two decades ago because I started in 2009. Uh, woof. Time comes for us all. Death smiles at us all. That's a good so on that it. happy note, 
That's a great promo though. And kudos to, uh, to Fort Myers um, for rolling it. So let's dive into some of the stuff that um, Ben still has coming to the sites from his road trip through Wisconsin and Minnesota. There is a terrific story that is up on the site uh, right now at MILB.com about Timmy, the dancing bat boy, um, who is one of the stars at Beloit's ABC supply stadium, which I have to apologize to the people of Beloit. When I first saw the architectural renderings for that stadium, I thought like, Oh, that's a cool generic naming rights sponsor that they put on the front of the stadium, ABC supply. I thought that was just like, they had come up with a thing. It's like your name here, corporate naming, but that's actually the name of the stadium. So I feel sorry, Beloit. Now I know, and I'll shop at ABC supply. If I ever come through, if it's a store, I don't even know, but Timmy, the dancing bat boy is a really cool story. A guy who it's not like he was hired to do this gig. He just kind of came about it by being himself. And this is an awesome piece. that's up on the site. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, Timothy Boatner Jr. Um, he uh, told me he, he grew, he's 19 years old. He grew up in Beloit. Um, he's always went to Snappers games at the old home of Pullman Field. Um, you know, loves baseball, played baseball throughout high school. And he got a job in August of last year when ABC Supply Stadium opened. Uh, it opened in season, which is pretty rare. But he got a job as an usher. And, um, you know, on occasion, he would dance between innings. And he told me he you know, sometimes he and his friend would dance in the hallways at school, but he's not like a formally trained dancer. He just feels the rhythm and moves. And uh, he loves Michael Jackson in particular, but said he'll dance to anything, you know, even country, even though he's made, you know, took pains to point out he's not really a country fan, but he'll dance to anything. So he got a little bit of a reputation last year as an usher um, dancing. And then this year they said, hey, we need a bat boy. You want to be the bat boy? And he did that. So now he's taking his dancing uh, on the field and Timmy time has become a thing at home games for Beloit at ABC Supply Stadium, where he comes out during an inning break, dances on the field. And he said, again, like he doesn't like plan out these routines. He just moves. But there's something so earnest and likable about him. It's become a ballpark phenomenon. And of course, the kind of thing I like to write about. And, you know, in a lot of these stories, I try to keep them pretty tight, you know, not very long. And, and one thing I wasn't able to include in this story is that I said, you know, what, what would you like to do, you know, big picture in your life? And I wasn't expecting any specific sort of answer, but he said, I love trains. I love going to this Union Pacific Railroad rail yard that's like 40 minutes away in Illinois and watching the trains. And I'd like to work uh, something involving trains. So he's a dancing bad really boy. really cool. But he wants to work <laughs> in trains. That's really and, cool. Uh, just a unique guy. Uh, just you know, adds just one of those many ballpark characters who adds a lot to the game day experience uh, through a story all his own. And, and staying in Beloit, speaking of kind of ballpark characters, but one who actually applies it straight on the field, you got to talk to MD Johnson uh, at, during your time in Beloit with the Sky Carp because they kind of directed you to say, hey, here's a player to talk to. And it seemed like you had a really interesting combo with him as well. I did. I used to do more player stuff, but uh, obviously I leave a lot of that to pretty much everyone else, you know, <laughs> I'm the company outlier. And at, at no point do I feel more like an outlier than this time of year when it's like futures game draft and everyone's like so involved. And I'm like, ah, well, here's a story out of dancing bat boy, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's, that's what I do, but I'm always open to players. I, you know, I don't do it from a you know prospect analysis place, obviously, but you know, if I get a lead that a guy's interesting, you know, why not? So I talked to MD Johnson. Everyone calls him doc. His name is Michael David. That got shortened to MD. And when you're an MD, that inevitably became Doc. And the, kind of the story is just about how he's a unique character, you know, really likable dude. I interviewed him officially for maybe 10 or 12 minutes, but then we just kept talking for another 15 or 20 minutes. And then and he's like, what, you going back up to the press box? I was like, yeah. 
He's like, I'll walk you up there. And he just walks up to the press box with me. He's socializing with people in the press box. He's a starting pitcher. Uh, he's the team ace. Uh, he's six foot five, you know, real lanky guy, super into mechanics, um, you know, analyzing his performance on, uh, you know, the software, co- software programs, uh, TrackMan and Rapsodo. Uh, he's also in terms of being doc, you know, he's a kinesiology major and he's a surgeon of sorts and that he fixes gloves for his teammates all the time. Uh, relacing them, doing them up, putting different colors into it. And uh, he got married at age 22 and he and his wife live at a campground uh, near the, st- the ballpark. And he said, there's no way else he'd rather live in minor league baseball than kind of having his little family on the road, he and his wife and uh, their miniature uh, Dachshund. I hope that's how you say it. I've never said that dog breed out loud. A Dachshund? Dachshund? Um, Dachshund, that's it. <laughs> Why could I not get that? Maybe in German it's Dachshund. Dachshund, yeah. And you can just say a wiener dog. I should have said wiener dog. My goodness. Now it's on tape, me saying Dachshund. <laughs> Never heard of this now. But anyway, interesting guy. Um, and uh, it was fun to uh, kind of dive into who Doc is, MD Johnson, and, and what he's about. That is a cool piece. Um, and uh, we have been kind of out of the mode of discussing ballpark guides for a while, but you've got a ballpark guide that is up about the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers home park, um, which is a, a place we were talking last week um, when getting a chance to discuss Wisconsin at large. That's the only team uh, in the minors, I believe, that claims a whole state, right, uh, as its moniker. I think there's one other. Uh, there used to be the Florida Fire Frogs. Right, but the Mississippi Braves. Ah, the Mississippi Braves. Yes. Oh, the correct. Arkansas Travelers. Never mind. I'm an idiot. There, I'm trying to take <laughs> the heat off. New of Hampshire Dasher. Fisher Cats, oh, Tyler. Yeah, New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Um, okay, it's the only one in the Midwest League. That's what I meant to say. There you go. <laughs> and, and you are 100 correct. See? Uh, oh know, wait. Well, yeah. Okay. Good. Midwest League. Iowa Cubs. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Forget it. Forget all of it. I'm trying to take the the heat off. Yeah, man, I said dashing, and now, 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 with the humiliation has moved to Tyler. Sam, it's your turn. <laughs> Say something dumb. Um, but anyway, Wisconsin, um, the uh, the ballpark guide is up and uh, a unique place to go visit. Yeah, it was it was great to write that up. Um, obviously, the ballpark guides we talked about them a lot. Long term project, getting them getting one done for every uh, ballpark, and um, you know, we did a lot in the off season. We've written a lot, you know, based on you know prior visits to these locations. But whenever I go to a place. And the ballpark guide has not yet been written. That's ideal for me because then I can do a ballpark guide directly informed by my recent experience. And I really do like visiting uh, the Timber Rattlers, you know, up there in Appleton, Wisconsin, you kind of have to make a point to visit the Timber Rattlers. They don't really naturally slot into other ballpark road trips, but I would say if you're planning a road trip and you can get up to that area, you know, really make the effort. Also during the summer, there's a lot of Northwoods league, Northwoods uh, summer collegiate teams around there as well. I think you could have a, a lot of fun in the state of Wisconsin uh, in the summer. And uh, yeah, it's just a really fun place to see a game. And one thing that's jumped out at me both times I've been is, you know, I arrive at the ballpark early, you know, being a member of the media. And both times I've been to Wisconsin, I got the ballpark early and the parking lot is already filled with people tailgating. You know, that's the culture there. So there's people playing lawn games and with the grill set up and, you know, sitting on, and on chairs underneath little tents and that's the culture there, um, you know, in Wisconsin and Minnesota as well. I think these places where the summer is comparatively short, uh, people really go all out. And it's just fun to pull into a minor league ballpark and have this like party atmosphere that the crowd brings themselves. Um, so just a, a fun place to see a ballpark and uh, check out the ballpark guide and, and learn much, much more about it, as well as things to do in Appleton, Wisconsin, including uh, 
you know, the Harry Houdini exhibit at the uh, History Museum at the castle, the Hearthstone House with uh, uh, the first uh, home in the world, I believe, powered by hydroelectricity. Uh, you can visit the International Paper Hall of Fame because there's a, a lot of paper history as well, which was fueled by hydroelectricity. What do you uh, have to do to be elected to the Paper Hall of Fame? You got to be a cut above. Ah, pretty good. Pretty good. I think we should just end it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do let you go, Ben, we, we will say, because the newest newsletter is out uh, as we are recording this. And also, you know, everybody might already have seen it. But in case you haven't, you announced your next road trip, which will allow you to once again have been everywhere. So where are you heading next? That's right. Uh, in 2018, for the first time, I was able to say I'd been to every minor league ballpark after visiting Grand Junction, Colorado. And then in 2019, I had to do it again by visiting the three new ballparks that year. And uh, Las Vegas was the one uh, that I visited in 2019 to once again say I'd been everywhere. And now three years later, I will soon be able to see, say it again when I finally make it to River, Riverfront Stadium, home of the Wichita Wind Surge. I will be there on July 29th and 30th, the final stop in a road trip that also includes the Oklahoma City Dodgers and Tulsa Drillers. I believe I have not been to see those teams since 2011, speaking of the 2010s. Um, so I'm, I'm due for those places as well. So that will be uh, Oklahoma City, July 27th, Tulsa, July 28th, Wichita, July 29th and 30th. Yeah, I've got the, uh, the newsletter or the itinerary in the latest newsletter. I'll announce it on social. Uh, shortly, of course, um, you know, recruiting designated eaters and also going to kind of do a maybe a soft launch of a different uh, concept I have of sort of a, a town ambassador or designated host, if you will. But, um, you know, trying to meet up with people when I'm visiting a town for maybe a couple hours in the afternoon and, uh, you know, show me around the town, show me the interesting sites. That kind of stuff is, I think, great for social media content, sometimes standalone articles, certainly within the ballpark guides, which includes things to do around the area. And I always like meeting people. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind as well. If you're uh, in that area and somehow have a few hours in the afternoon, uh, trying to meet up with people and learn things about the places I'm visiting. So that is, uh, that is all coming up. Yeah, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot going on now. Even had another article about the St. Paul Saints uh, appear this week as well about uh, the musical director, Andrew Crowley, who, uh, you know, plays keyboard, organ, uh, does all the in-house sound, mixing board, drum pads, um, you know, just... Uh, Love to see people providing live musical accompaniment at the ballpark and kind of like dancing bat boys. If there's someone playing live music at a ballpark in an official capacity, I'm going to write about it. I'm predictable in those ways. So yeah, please follow along. A lot going on this time of year. It is peak baseball season, which means for all of us, there's a lot going on. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's biz and on Instagram at the Ben's biz and uh, Ben enjoy uh, the buildup for the next trip. And we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll still be here next week and uh, we'll talk yeah. more about it and we'll talk more about other great things. And uh, maybe we'll have more clarity on what the 2010s meant to us. I like that idea. I need some clarity. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Uh, big thanks to Benjamin Hill and my apologies to all of you who are fans of teams that are named after states that I forgot about. Uh, let's move along to uh, a lengthy conversation uh, this week. Sam and I have so much to discuss because it is a huge week, as noted, across Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, 
Futures game coming up on Sunday. The uh, Major League First Year Player Draft this weekend. Saturday, sorry. I think I said Sunday. Um, Saturday this weekend uh, for the Futures game. The uh, Major League Baseball First Year Player Draft this weekend as well. Getting started. Um, So we've got some fun topics to uh, dive into this week. And we're going to start with the Futures game, which is, uh, of course, a uh, showcase event top prospects in the American league versus those from the national league. And Sam and I are going to draft our squads from the players who have been named to the futures game. You can of course head to MLB pipeline, check out the futures game rosters uh, and learn about who your favorite league will be uh, putting out at Dodger stadium to uh, try to conquer the other league. Um, But Sam and I are going to select our teams position players Uh, one designated hitter, a left-handed pitcher, and a right-handed pitcher. And uh, this is always kind of a challenge when you record a little early because their roster changes. And, um, you know, there will probably still be some roster changes. We're recording on Thursday the 14th, so we're a couple days away from the Futures game. Um, But it is uh, probably highly likely, I would say, that some changes are still coming. So either way, if somebody has been or currently is on the roster, they are eligible. Sam and I are going to pick our squads. And uh, as it usually goes with these draft things, mine will be vastly better. And uh, and we'll do it that way. <laughs> not decided who goes first. I will let you go first, Tyler, <laughs> this time. Um, we'll also, uh, just to set up how this is going to work, we'll snake it. So you go, then yep. I will go twice, then you go twice, et cetera. Like a fantasy uh, sports draft, but it's only with two people. Right. And also we're not going in any order of position. So you can right. draft any position at any time. Um, but once you draft for that position, you can't come back to it. So you can't take three catchers if you want It's too bad. I was going to carry eight catchers on. I mean, uh, if you want to draft eight catchers and then tell Henry Davis that he is playing left field, you go right on it. But um, that's all I'm going to have to theoretically play that position. Taking catchers. Dylan Dingler is going to be like my starting shortstop. You know, it's, we're yeah, just going to have an athletic all, enough. That's he is an athletic dude. We're going to have all catching squad. Um, all right. I'm kicking this off. I'm picking first. Yeah. Francisco Alvarez, baby. Oh, come on. I shouldn't have <laughs> said catchers. I, I feel like I planted a seed. Oh, he was going to be my first pick regardless. Um, okay. Because he is the guy who has left me with the most lingering memory from the 2021 Futures game. Watching him take batting practice last year. Uh, he is a stunningly exciting talent. He's the type of guy who, I mean, I, you know, I've told this story on the podcast before somebody was taking BP and it was so loud. I was focused on doing something else. And I was like, who, who is hitting right now and turned around and it was Francisco Alvarez. Uh, so he is my, uh, my first pick, the Mets prospect, the top prospect in that organization and MLB's new number two overall. Yeah. And uh, you know, not to give away a story that hopefully is out by the time you guys have seen this, but we got to write up like what we're most excited to see in the futures game and or who and Alvarez was my guy, both for pregame BP and in game batting sessions. Like he homered last year. Yeah. Could easily homer again this year. Uh, he's been so good at double A and now triple A for the Mets. Okay. So Francisco Alvarez is our number one prospect off the board, off the board, he's off the board on. Um, I am going to take somebody else who is actually in the conversation, I think, with Francisco Alvarez for the number one prospect in the minor leagues right now. And that is Corbin Carroll. Okay. The Arizona. Very good picks. Uh, recently so, promoted Corbin Carroll. Recently promoted. Just as recently promoted as Francisco Alvarez. Those right. guys were both moving up the ladder in the Mets and D-back system. Uh, Carroll, I think, is as close to a five-tool prospect as we have in baseball right now. 
um, at least at the minor league level. Uh, he, we've always known he was fast going back, back to his draft days. We always thought he could hit a little bit. Now he's starting to show even better power. Uh, people thought he would have below average power. It's at least average power now. It's a little difficult to judge those guys who play at Amarillo and Reno because those are two launching pads. Um, but the way he hits balls to the gap, the way he hits balls over the fence has been really special. His arm is good. He's coming off a major shoulder injury last year, but it's looked healthy this year and productive. Um, every, every piece is there for Corbin Carroll. And I think this is basically his coming out party. A, a lot of people have heard about how good he is. He can make highlight plays in the outfield. He could hit the ball really well. Um, he's going to be my leadoff hitter to get it. You know, we're not going to make lineups here, but theoretically he'd be my leadoff hitter. So Corbin Carroll is my number one pick uh, here. Now I get a second one. Um, let's see. Who do I want to go to next? I'm going to go to third base next and i'm going to take jordan walker okay uh we got some speed there with corbin carroll i'm going to add some thump to my lineup in jordan walker at third base um one of my favorite prospects coming into the year and he's only built that at, at such a young age at double a springfield in the cardinals organization it's potential plus plus power from him he's hit the ball really well this year he's hit above 300 for most of the year despite being super young for the double a level the cardinals have always been very aggressive with him sending him to single A and high A last year tackling this assignment. Wouldn't be surprised if he sees Memphis by season's end. Um, but yeah, the power is there. The hitting ability is there. Some questions about where he's going to end up defensively because like Nolan Gorman, he plays third base. Nolan Arenado is at third base in St. Louis. At what point do you move him around? We'll see. Probably can't move him to first base because Paul Goldsmith plays there for the purposes of this. He's my third baseman. Um, make him, you know, you're heart of the lineup batter. And I think that's going to work out really well. So I'm going to take Jordan Walker, my second pick. All right. Second pick for me. Um, I too, am going to go to the left side of the infield and I'm going to snag Gunnar Henderson from the mm. Baltimore Orioles organization. Gives me a little bit of versatility, a guy who can play third, he can play short. Um, Really just like what he does. He's also played some second in his career. We're probably not going to test him there. Don't worry, O's fans. Uh, but he's gotten a good amount at both spots so far this year at third and short. He played 27 games for Bowie at third and 18 at short. With Norfolk, it's been a little reverse, 16 at short and 12 at third. Um, but Gunnar Henderson has had a terrific uh, start to this season uh, or had a terrific start to the season at double A. I and mean, he's been really good since he was promoted uh, to triple A. And then I'm kind of trying to figure out which route I want to go next, but I think I'm going to lock down uh, a pitcher here. And I think I am going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Number two prospect, Bobby Miller, um, who has been so good. I mean, you know, if, if you're the Dodgers and you're able to snag a pitcher uh, in the draft and get him into your system, he's going to be a star. It just seems like it's a matter of time before uh, you can snag a guy and get him to the big leagues. And of course, uh, somebody who came out of his uh, career at Louisville and was uh, the 29th overall pick in the shortened draft in 2020. Um, Bobby Miller has been uh, very, very good so far this year. And uh, he's currently with Tulsa, uh, an ERA of 4.12, but a guy who has shown some absolute flashes of brilliance last time out he struck out nine start before that he struck out 10 uh you know touches 100 miles an hour um he's he is very very good so uh bobby miller is going to be the right-handed dude on my staff that's that's pretty good and one thing i really like about bobby miller pitching in dodger stadium on saturday is i think he could have the best fastball of anybody in the game yeah and you know he's going to have a little extra juice 
Um, we don't have lineups yet. I really hope he starts. Same. He, he deserves to based off the, the body of work, but also I love when the starter comes from the hometown team. So Bobby Miller, solid pick there uh, for Tyler. I am, this is probably bad strategy, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to use up my DH spot. Oh, interesting. Uh, because Sam's I'm the guy who drafts a take kicker. This guy at some point. Sam gets a kicker in the third round. Yeah. That's yeah. A... This is, <laughs> I get the uh, San Diego state punter. What was his name again? <laughs> uh, punt God. No, th- this, this guy is, I want him on my team so bad. And that's why I'm taking him at DH because I want to leave. I think I know where you're going. He's basically eligible at either shortstop or third base. I already oh, have my okay. third baseman. I want to keep my shortstop open because you just took a shortstop and there's no need to take a shortstop right now. I'm taking Ellie De La Cruz, man. Oh, okay. I like Ellie that. Ellie De La Cruz is my designated hitter. I like that pick. Switch hitter. We've seen him just this week. Homer from both sides of the plate in the same game. Um, he's pretty quick. He's basically once O'Neill Cruz graduates from prospectum, he's the next version of that, of a guy who's really big, not quite yeah. as big as O'Neill Cruz, but very big, tooled up, can stand out in multiple ways. Some questions about where he's going to be defensively. He's playing short and third now, like I said. I would kind of like to see him play the center field spot at some point, um, but just so much thump in that bat. He strikes out a little too much. That's why we didn't move him up yet in our top 100 when the next update comes, I'm ready to, to stuff him again and, and jump him several spots because he's clearly showing that he can live with a strikeout rate in 25 to 30% range. Um, and LA day La Cruz is exactly designed for a game like this in which all of your tools are on, uh, on display. So LA day La Cruz is my DH. And again, a little worried about taking that early next is somebody I'm <laughs> it's funny, Jim Callis, who works with us at MLB pipeline has accused me of this guy being my favorite prospect. Okay. And he's probably not wrong. Now, he's maybe not my I favorite. Know where you're favorite. Going. Okay. What? I said, now maybe I know where you're going. Do you, do you want to announce it for me? Uh, no, because if you don't take him, then I'm going to take him to make you mad. Okay. All right. It's Jackson Trudeau Dang it! of the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> That's um, exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be, as of now, as of the, when the rosters were originally announced, he's going to be the youngest player there, but he certainly earned his spot there. Uh, I wrote up a feature on him a couple weeks ago. Just a fascinating guy to watch because when the Brewers signed him, he got a pretty good you know chunk of change coming out of Venezuela, but wasn't somebody who was on a top 100 radar this year. They keep pushing him. They moved him to Carolina uh, at just 18 years old. He's continued to do really well there. His power is playing really quickly. He has a great ability to find the barrel. Uh, he is striking out a little bit too much, but still I think that's just a learning curve being 18 this is his, technically his first stateside season, skipped right over the Arizona Complex League. Uh, he's got plus to plus plus speed. That's what's allowed him to be so good in center field. Just another super toolsy guy uh, that I think fits very well. And I don't know who's going to play in the corners now between him Cor- and Corbin Carroll, but I will take that as a good problem. That is a good problem to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was the name that was on the tip of my tongue to snag – uh, just to block you from getting him. Um, so, all right. Congratulations, Sam. <laughs> um, that at least see now we're into kind of the meat of the draft. Cause we've each gotten three, four picks done and, uh, it makes it like a little more complicated when you start looking at, all right, well, do I want to reach for somebody here? Do I feel like I can get this person, uh, you know, a little bit later? Um, I feel as though it would be insane of me to not take my next pick. 
and to slide Gunnar Henderson over to third and to grab Anthony Volpe of the New York Yankees to play short. So that's what I'm going to do. So Volpe at short, Henderson at third. I moved, I shift alt tabbed away from the, uh, the rosters window just to see your facial expression and you look mad. So I'm happy now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, part of the reason why I took Ellie De La Cruz at DH was I'm like, well, I'll just slide Volpe into the shortstop spot. No, you won't. Nope. Nope. I wish we had set the parameters that you have to announce a player at a spot and that's where they stay. But we didn't. <laughs> no, man. This is all about positional room. versatility, Sam. Yes. This no, the, you got it. This is you the era it. of baseball that we live in now. You have so, gained the system. Go on. You're do, welcome. Do, do your little dance. Yeah. Go um, and uh, there are like three or four guys that I keep thinking to myself, like, I bet I could probably take him later. Um, one thing that I'm also realizing about uh, this group of prospects, this squad both squads loaded with catchers there are so many good catching options out there um so to be able to snag francisco alvarez first overall i'm very excited about but man there are some really really good catching talents out there like you're not gonna you know if you go get shay langoliers uh it's not as though you're taking much of a step down from anybody else uh in the game because that dude is a stud behind the plate so that doesn't really apply to anything at all here but i uh, just wanted to put it out there um all right so for my my next pick um i think i'm gonna go with ricky tiedemann uh mm. because i've had a prospect crush on him for the majority of this year he's a third rank prospect in the blue jay system he'll be my left-handed pitcher um he's just he is a dude, you know, the, the numbers are great. The strikeout numbers are great. Um, he's a guy who I think the average prospect fan coming into this year may not have really known a whole lot about Ricky Tiedemann. He's only 19. He came out of a junior college was a third round pick 91st overall last year, but he's got 103 strikeouts in 67 and two thirds innings this year, a 2.13 ERA. Uh, he's at high a with the Vancouver Canadian. So he's already introducing himself to, you know, the fans on that side of the border. Um, I really, really like uh, Ricky Tiedemann. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah, no, Ricky Tiedemann is, is a good one. Uh, uh, and I remember the hype building in spring training. Yeah, uh, yeah. Blue Jays reporter for us for MLB.com is Keegan Matheson. And he was messaging me being like, dude, everybody here is so pumped about Ricky Tiedemann. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's he's a, not a first round pick necessarily coming into the year. I don't know how much we can push him. And he's like, no, we need to. His velocity is up. Everything's been really great. And it's continued both at Dunedin and at, at Vancouver. The, the slider has been really good. The changeup has been really good. It's a, an entire package. So good pick for you. He's definitely somebody who is on my board. Um, so, Tyler, you have no more pitchers available. Your, your pitching is spoken for. You know, so I guess I'm I will a, hold off. I'm a person who's scarred as a baseball fan growing up where I have grown up. You need – you got to get the good pitching early. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um all right, so I'm going to go second base because I don't think second base is very deep for this for this yeah, game. That is true um, because I think there's potential second basemen who are right now playing shortstop, and I don't want to make right. for one game. That being said, the guy who I am very excited to pick here is another one of my prospect crushes. Tyler, you might know where I'm going with this. It is Curtis Mead. Yeah, I was going to take him at first, oh, which is very I'm... fitting because I picked Curtis Mead in another draft that we did, and I don't remember what it was, but you were set to take him with your next pick, and I snagged him, and so it turned out as fair play. Yeah, I think league. it was the Fall League one. Dang uh, it. Curtis Mead has bopped around <sighs> the infield in the Rays system. He's played third. He's played first. He's played some second. 
Um, so I'm going to take him here at second just because I think it's it's not as deep a field there. Uh, but Curtis Mead can hit the ball really well. He's already up at AAA Durham. Uh, they love the exit velocities coming out of that guy. Coming into the year, he was a potential you know, 280, 290 hitter uh, for the Rays. Has a really simple setup, just stands up straight in the box, has a decent stride, uh, but is one of those C-ball, hit-ball type of hitters and sprays it around. Um, there's going to become a time where he turns doubles into home runs. We're starting to see that a little bit, um, but he's super young for the AAA level now. Some questions about what he's going to be defensively, but don't worry, the Rays have ways of, of getting around that uh, as an organization. He's going to hit the ball really well. And again, put him at second base. We don't have to worry as much about the arm there as we would at third. And yeah, so Curtis Dang. Mead, very excited to add him. You took to the only Australian. Not, and not I'm, Abby. yeah, I know. I took the Australian. Not Abby. No, well, I'm I should happy. say our Australian listeners are not going to be happy with me. I'm supposed to be the ambassador and yeah. I, I failed them. Too bad for you. Uh, all right. So my, I'm going to round out my outfield. Tyler, you have not taken an outfielder. Yet, I have so not. Gonna, I have not. There are tons of good options. I have a feeling options. you're going to take one of the guys that I have an eye on. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're going to, if if this would have been your next okay. outfield pick or not, but I just love this guy. I love watching him hit. It's George Valera. Oh, okay. Of the Cleveland Guardians organization. 21-year-old. Uh, if you get a chance to watch George Valera, he has a very, it feels old school, his setup. It's kind of like an open stance. Uh, it's kind of loosey-goosey, but everything syncs up really well. When he hits a home run, he knows he hit a home run, and he stares him down pretty well. And and credit to him, it's because they are way gone. This is not somebody who's going to get caught, you know, watching a ball scrape the wall. He he hits the ball pretty far. Again, only 21 years old at AA Akron this year. Uh, he's got an 866 OPS the pieces are there for him to be really good. I think, you know, I've got a, a good team right now with some thumpers and Jordan Walker and Curtis Mead could be that guy and Ellie De La Cruz. This gives us another power bat for that, you know, number five, number six role in the lineup. So very excited to add George Valera uh, to our roster here. Okay. It's a good pick and I like it. Um, I'm going to go to the right side of my infield for uh, my next selection and snag. Nick Prado of the Kansas City Royals organization, uh, a guy who has been at AAA Omaha in each of the last two seasons, part of 2021. He's back there here uh, in 2022. And uh, dude who has made a very swift climb through that system and is in the midst of, I think, kind of figuring it out uh, at AAA. He really struggled in May, got better in June. Uh, and in July so far, we're only 10 games into the month, but his batting average this month is 278, which is 28 points higher than any other month this year. His OPS is 1033 because he's got four homers already this month. He had four in all of June, five in May, four in April. Uh, so a guy who I think is now putting all the pieces together. Now, what that means for an eventual major league conversation with the Royals and their depth, obviously we don't uh, need to break into that because it's way more complicated. And thankfully we don't have to discuss it at this moment, but he's going to be the guy first for me. Well, I will say, uh, Nick Prado is like the perfect example of why we laid out that anybody who was on the roster at some right. point is right. eligible because right now it looks like Nick Prado is going to make his major league debut exactly with the Royals this weekend in Toronto because uh, the Royals have multiple players who are going to be on the restricted list. Nick Prado, a perfect 
call up example. He's, he's like you said, he's getting hot, getting ready. So he's probably going to miss the game. I, I can almost say definitely is going to miss the game on Saturday, but was on this roster for a reason. Right. Um, the glove work you mentioned, all the offensive improvements. The glove work has always been great. Gold glove caliber yeah. first baseman uh, might be one of the best defenders in this game on either side. And it's too bad he plays first base because he. I, it, you know, gloves don't always shine there, but anyways, just wanted to say that about Nick. Carter. Yes. Um, and I have my eyes set on, on three young outfielders and I'm trying to figure out who to go with first. And I think the one that I am going to select as I Michael Scott, my way through this conversation, because there are two that I really just can't decide between. I got to go, you know, I, I, I have to go with the hometown organization's kid, Zach Veen. I'm going to snag for the outfield. I think I, I could slot Zach Veen in as my DH, but I think I'm going to pick him for the outfield. And that'll be my first uh, of the outfield group. I got two other guys lined up in my on my radar for the outfield, and I'm sure you'll ruin it. <laughs> you already snagged Curtis Mead. I'm sure you're going to pick one of them. Yeah, so I'm looking at how my things my lineup is going now. And I kind of want to pull a U here, Tyler. And I'm going to move Ah, L.A. De La Cruz. Don't say pull a me like it's a pejorative thing. This is just smart roster construction, Sam. I'm sorry. I'm going to steal something out of your notebook, Tyler, <laughs> and use it in mine. I'm going to apply your intelligent methods. Yes, I'm learning at your feet and taking those lessons into my own work here. <laughs> I'm going to move L.A. De La Cruz. He's no longer my D.A. She's going to be my shortstop. Uh, and I am also going to move- the DH though. Now, now you don't get one because now you put him in the <laughs> no, line. That's no, no, <laughs> no, that's not how we're doing this. Uh, and I'm going to move George Valera to my DH. Okay. I'm going to take this to a new level. This is a double and, switch, if you will. And my third outfielder is now going to be Pete Crow Armstrong. Okay. I love my defensive outfield now between Carol Churio and Crow Armstrong. Um, all three of those guys are bound to play center field. I think in the major league someday. Uh, but Pico Armstrong might be one of our best defenders overall in minor league baseball right now. He's coming around with the bat. He's now at high A. Um, always really, really fast going back to his draft days. Another guy who missed a good chunk of last year. So between him and Carroll, you know, they're they're making up for lost time this year. But again, just really tooled up. How much is the power going to play? We'll have to see. But I, after taking some real boppers, I think him and Carroll at the top of the lineup is exactly what I want there going one, two. Um, so yeah, we'll move that around. Pico Armstrong. You like your defensive outfield, which is fine. Cause my dudes are going to be smacking dongs over the fence. You don't even need an outfield, buddy. <laughs> hey, if they, if they put it like close to the fence, my guys could pull it back. Well, good thing. They won't be putting it close to the fence then, yeah. Sam. All right. Going to be hitting see. them up onto that think blue hill out beyond the, uh, the left field stand. Is that, I don't even know if that sign is still there in LA, but still, uh, you know, they'll hit it out of the, over the speakers out there in center. All right. Well, new pavilion. If you're going to keep talking about what your hitters are going to do, I, I think it's probably time for me to take a pitcher, and I am going to take Yuri Perez. Oh, good pick of the Miami Marlins system. Um, Yuri Perez, they've been super aggressive with him as well. He's a teenager in Double A, which is basically unheard of. Uh, he's also six foot eight, which is also basically unheard of. But he seems to have really good body control. Really knows how to work his pitches. It's a full arsenal. Usually with guys that big, we're talking about control problems. He doesn't really have that. His numbers this year would be good for double-A anyways, but he's doing it at such a young age. He brings velocity. He brings off-speed pitches. Um, 
just a, again, the perfect player for a futures game and somebody who I'm sure people have read about, but may not have seen yet having double a experience. He's not going to be afraid of this moment. Um, probably going to be seeing the majors at some point next year because of how close he is now. Uh, but Yuri Perez going to make him my right-handed pitcher. I like that pick. He's one of those guys who it feels like every single night that he's on the mound, we're working up a reel for his, his strikeout, sending you know highlights over or uh, you know writing about him for a, a standing story, whatever it is. Uh, so that's a good pick. I am going to start filling out my uh, my outfield, and uh, uh, who do I want to go with? <laughs> I'm going to snag Robert Hassel, the third. Not to be confused with his father or grandfather. I'm going to take the one who's currently playing in the Padres system, uh, Robert Hassel III, who has been terrific. Now, I've heard some things about Robert Hassel uh, over the course of the season. Early on, even though he was getting hits, he was kind of struggling to get the the bat head to the ball, um, was going the other way a lot with stuff. It really feels like he has started to round that out, and his numbers have been terrific all season long. So the fact that he was maybe getting a little late to things and was still putting good contact on the ball and uh, and driving it, and now he's adding a full repertoire of being able to spray it all over the field, that's a really impressive skill set to have. Um, and for somebody who is, you know, still pretty young. Uh, Robert Hassel, just 20 years old at high A. He's been really impressive. So we got one high A guy there, uh, another high A guy in Zach Veen. And then I think I'm going to go even younger and I'm going to snag 19-year-old Jason Dominguez from the New York Yankee system, who obviously uh, was somebody who took a little bit of hit to his prospect stock. Kind of hard to not take a hit when you're compared to literally Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout and people scouting reports about you when you're a teenager. Um, but he is really starting to get things put together. And what's amazing is people are like, ah, Jason Dominguez, he's going to be a flop. This guy can't get it figured out. He's 19 years old. Like last year, Jason Dominguez played uh, at the class A level at 18 and still managed to hit 258 with a 744 OPS. This year, he's a little bit better, 267. The OPS is 819, but the power starting to come along. He had five homers last year uh, in 49 games played. He's got nine in 74 games played at the, uh, at the single a level and that skill set. I mean, the, the talent obviously is still the talent and whether or not he makes himself into Mickey Mantle or Mike Trout, not many people are able to do that period, but as a prospect, he is starting to get it put together. So that's, uh, that's my next pick. Yeah. I mean, it's, the tools are, are certainly there. It's projection remaining on him. You know, wh where does he go from here? Cause he is so maxed out uh, like physically right now, he's a specimen at such a young age. Um, so where do things go? But again, we're, we're drafting here for Saturday. So he could hit rockets. He, he has right. the speed. Uh, I think that that could certainly work. Um, so looking at my roster, once again, I'm going to go back to the pitching well and round out my staff, my two person staff, as it were, and I'm going to go with Kyle Harrison uh, at my left-handed pitcher pick. I think the gap between Kyle Harrison and Ricky Tiedemann has closed pretty pretty much. I think for a while there was pretty clear that Kyle Harrison was the best left-handed pitching prospect in the game. I think Tiedemann's getting very close to him, but I might still lean towards uh, towards Harrison just because he has a little bit more experience, obviously, um, a little bit more of a pedigree. But he's our 25 overall prospect right now. He's played two levels this year, currently at double A at just 20 years old. The fastball has been playing really well. The slider has been really difficult. 
against left-handed pitchers or left-handed hitters. It seems like lefties can't hit him. He's extremely difficult to read coming out of the hand. And, and when he's blowing, you know, plus fastballs and plus sliders and pretty good changeups by you, um, double A hitters are, are just confounded by him. High A hitters certainly were. Um, so Kyle Harrison, especially in a game like this where, you know, he doesn't need to, to last five, six innings. And, and that was, you know, maybe some of the questions on him coming into the year was what was his control going to be like? And he's still averaging close to a walk every two innings. But in a short spurt like this, when he can really air it out and really spin that slider, uh, I think he's really, really good fit for this. And then I'm going to go for my catcher. I, I have my staff. I need a catcher now. Um, I'm going to stick in the NL West and I'm going to get my own Dodgers representative. You have Bobby Miller. I'm going to go Diego Cartaya, uh, who I think is kind of in that Francisco Alvarez class of if he wasn't a catcher, he would still be a top 100 prospect because the bat is so good, but it certainly helps that he is a catcher because he's playing a premium position. Um, he split time this year between single A and high A, handled both of those levels pretty well. Uh, the power is really special coming out of Diego Cartaya, kind of similar to the way it is out of uh, Alvarez, you know, around the same age. He's 20 years old. He'll turn 21 in September. It's plus power. He's got a good arm. He can be a decent fielder. I think his defensive ceiling might end up being above Alvarez. It's just the offense isn't quite there, but it's still really, really good. Uh, you know, the, the Dodgers develop guys really well. We saw it with, with Will Smith and the way he came up through the system. Uh, I think Diego Cartaya is a, future first division catcher. It may take a little while to get there, but again, getting him in that stadium uh, years in advance, I think could be huge. And I think the bat's going to play even against some of these advanced arms that you'll see in a futures game. Okay. Um, I only have two spots left to fill and that is second base and my designated hitter. Um, second base, I'm going to go another guy who is pretty versatile, Miguel Vargas in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, a guy who can play third, he can play first. We're going to put him at second base. Uh, and that leaves me only my DH spot to lock down. And I think I got to go with yet another recently promoted guy. Um, and that is a, uh, an organizational teammate of your first pick Corbin Carroll. I'm going with Jordan Lawler. Uh, who is a, a guy who, you know, he may better be suited to be my shortstop than just my designated hitter, but it could be DH slash utility. Well, you know, we can use these guys. However, these are going to be the actual rosters, by the way, we're sending these in uh, for, for this weekend. Uh, Mike Sosha and Jimmy Rollins are going to take our feedback because we're two very intelligent guys, obviously. Um, but no, that's who I'm, that's who I'm snagging. No, that's good. That's good. I, I, I know I took Ellie De La Cruz and moved him to short. I think leaving Jordan Lawler, who is probably a better defender, um, and right now we have as a better overall prospect, is probably to my detriment, but that's okay. I, I'm just so excited about the switch hitting possibilities of LA, LA De La Cruz, but I'm glad Jordan Lawler is represented on here somewhere. I only have first base left. Uh, first base, as you can imagine, is not exactly a deep position for this uh, futures game, the, these rosters that we have currently. I'm going to go with another guy who was a late replacement, and that's Mark Vientos of the New York Mets system. Uh, this is his second year at AAA, but he's still only in his age 22 season. Uh, I know there's people in the Mets organization or like the fans of the Mets who keep saying like, hey, Mark Vientos could be our solution here in the second half to our major DH problem. And he's starting to bring it along. It's always been a power bat. 
he's actually technically a third baseman, but he's played a lot more first base of late, which makes this work out okay. Defensively, he's not going to provide a ton of value. He's a, he's a little too big, doesn't move great over at third base, uh, isn't going to move great over at first base either, but the bat is going to, it's going to drive the profile. And, you know, he's, he's not going to match Nick Prado defensively whatsoever, but bringing some right-handed thump is going to be big for this. And he's going to be one of my more experienced guys, again, being at AAA already. Um, having that experience now, a second year of experience can certainly help out a roster like this. So Mark Vientos is the final pick of this futures game draft. Tyler, you want to run down your roster real quick? I sure do. So I got Francisco Alvarez behind the plate, Nick Prado at first, Miguel Vargas at second, Gunnar Henderson over at third, Anthony Volpe at short. I've got a young outfield of Zach Veen, Robert Assel the third, and Jason Dominguez. Jordan Lawler is my designated hitter slash maybe utility guy slash maybe my starting shortstop. Uh, Bobby Miller is my right-handed pitcher, and Ricky Tiedemann is my lefty. So for me at catcher, I have Diego Cartaya. Uh, first base, as I just mentioned, Mark Vientos. Third base, uh, Jordan Walker. Second base is Curtis Mead. Shortstop is Ellie De La Cruz. My outfield is made up of Corbin Carroll, Jackson Churio, and Pete Crow Armstrong. DHing will be George Valera. Uh, my right-handed pitcher is Yuri Perez, and my left-handed pitcher is Kyle Harrison. Those are pretty stacked squads. Those are. I mean, those are exactly. How obviously, they were going to be, but like, man, those are really good teams. I want this to happen, and we now we kind of have- get it. We right. got to have uh, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis draft teams now, and we can put uh, with the uh, scraps, but well, not the scraps. right exactly with the the, the guys who the we have not selected players, right? And uh, and then we got to put a four team tournament together. I'm sure the I'm sure the big league clubs will go for this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's futures game conversation. Uh, the Sirius XM All Star Futures Game pits the American League against the National League. Just a seven inning game coming up on Saturday. 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 o'clock at Dodger Stadium. It'll be live on Peacock and Sirius XM uh, with MLB Network producing the telecast and re-airing the game on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Um, Jim Kaus, our, our pal, will be on the call for that uh, as one of the analysts. And uh, you can catch that, of course, uh, live on Peacock uh, if you want to watch. My thought i'm very happy that they moved it to saturday last year it was sunday and the draft started basically right as the futures game was ending my thought now is get it back to nine innings that's what i would love to Mm -hmm. see if you give it its own day make it a full game um and uh dodger stadium will be a very cool venue for that coming up on saturday uh major league baseball first year player draft starts on sunday and we're back to talk about that coming up next So with the draft coming up on Sunday, it gets its own day in the spotlight for uh, prospect fans and draft fans. And there are a ton of storylines going into this year's edition, including one that we're going to cover in our uh, first topic for this week's edition of Three Strikes, an all-draft edition of Three Strikes. And uh, I think a very good conversation to lead us off, which is, what would you say the theme is of this year's draft in 2022? Because there's a very obvious one, but obviously there are a lot more behind the scenes. Yeah, I think the obvious one is just bats, 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 bats. And part of that is there is a real strong group of hitters and overall position players at the, the top of this draft when you look at the rankings. But also, I think this was a really difficult year for pitchers. Just so many of the top guys got hurt. I'm thinking of like Dylan Lesko or uh, you know, some of these other guys who had Tommy John surgery and either did not pitch this spring or didn't, you know, got hurt in the spring, uh, which sends down their prospect stock. Now, when I'm looking at the top of the draft and you're talking about 
the top five, 10. I, I don't even know how far we're going to go until we hear a pitcher. I think we should say that is partly credit as well, just to the quality of hitters. Like I, I don't want to put down pitchers alone here. You look at Drew Jones at the top and he's a potential five tool star, obviously being the son of Andrew Jones, that there's you know reasons why uh, I'm sure he learned being uh, how, what it takes to be a really good defensive center fielder, Jackson holiday, son of Matt holiday, uh, Tyler, I believe you may have heard of that particular all-star player. Indeed. Um, Elijah green, another son of, on this case, he's a son of a former NFL player. Uh, Tamar Johnson might be the best hitter we've seen in the draft in a while. I, I think Jim Callis said potentially decades in terms of just pure hitting ability. Uh, Tamar Johnson is in that conversation. Brooks Lee might be one of the quickest guys to move through a minor league system uh, because of how good of a hitter he is. So when you look at what this draft is going to be defined by, I think it could end up being like, Hey, it's going to be a while until we hear a pitcher and it's just so many hitters are going to be taken at the top here. And again, I think that's to the credit of this hitting class specifically, especially when it comes to the, the high school side. Yeah, the family legacy thing is a really cool element of this draft, too. You mentioned Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. Um, also, for some reason, this makes me feel even older than those two guys. Carl Crawford's son, uh, Justin Crawford, is a projected you know, mid to upper first round pick. Uh, Justin is listed as the 13th ranked overall prospect in the draft class, uh, according to the pipeline rankings. Um, and he's coming out of a, a place in Bishop Gorman High School in Nevada that has produced a ton of baseball talent, uh, including Joey Gallo and, uh, you know, Yankees first rounder, Austin Wells, a lot of talent has come out of Bishop Gorman, but yeah, for some, I don't know why it is that Carl Crawford's son makes me feel even older than, than Jackson holiday. I do remember seeing Jackson holiday at a, a press conference, um, back when, the Rocky signed Troy Tulowitzki to a lengthy extension. I think that was after the, uh, the 2007 season, uh, and seeing Jackson holiday wandering around when I believe he was three. So yeah, now seeing him is like, <laughs> Oh, he could be the first overall pick in the draft. That does make me feel pretty old. Um, but for strike two this week, Drew Jones is kind of the hot topic going into the first round on Sunday. The son of the former major league billion time all-star Andrew Jones and uh, a 10 time gold glove winner. Um, Drew Jones, 18 years old, coming out of high school. He is committed to go to Vanderbilt, but probably is not going to follow through on that commitment because you go first overall or even those uh, first round draft selection spots. You're going to take that money and run on to college. Uh, but this is a guy who has all kinds of tools and could be first overall. Will he be first overall, Sam? Ooh, yeah, it's it's kind of Drew Jones or the field, I think, in, in some ways. And and that's just because I, I think it comes down to how cute do the Orioles want to get with this first overall pick. You go back to when they last had a first overall pick, and it was Adley Rutschman. And people kind of said, like, listen, he is the top overall prospect in this draft. Don't overthink it. Take him. But they do have a recent history, including Adley Rutschman, of taking college hitters first. Uh, you go Heston Kerstad, you go Colton Kowser. They seem to prefer college hitters. And there's an argument to be made that maybe they go back to that well, A, because, you know, somebody like a Brooks Lee or, um, you know, somebody like that might not ask for as much money. You can use the savings from signing him, uh, you know, further down the draft, make a deeper farm system. And also, you know, we're speaking right now, the Orioles have a 10 game winning streak. They're all of a sudden in the playoff picture. I think they are contending a lot quicker than maybe even they thought. 
So do you want to draft a Drew Jones who's years away uh, and, and, or take somebody who could join the big league club quicker and contribute to that window of contention? That being said, if I'm Mike Elias and the group making this pick, I'm taking Drew Jones. I just think he is not head and shoulders above the rest of the, the class, but just so good. He is a five-tool player, really good defender, really good runner. Seems like the power is there. He can hit a bit too. Um, if you have a guy who you feel like is going to be the number one talent eventually in this class, take him. Like, yeah, you you might come to a time where Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are playing with Drew Jones. Like, that's that's how franchises are built. That's how dynasties are built. It might be four or five years away, but like, take the guy who you think is the best overall talent in the draft. If now maybe the O's disagree. Maybe they really like Jackson Holiday more. Maybe they like Tremar Johnson and his hit tool more, and they're, they're willing to overlook him being just a second baseman. We'll have to see. I if I'm making the pick, I'm taking Drew Jones. Um, but I think it's 50-50 on between him and the field. You know, based off what I'm hearing and reading, uh, you know, from people who cover the draft. I I don't dive too much into this on minor leagues only. Um, but having covered it a little bit over the last week, I just think Drew Jones is is so good of a player that it's difficult to overlook. So that leaves us with one more topic and it is a very fascinating one uh, coming into this edition. And he was a fascinating guy going into last edition of the draft. And that is Kumar Rocker, who is the 10th overall pick in the 2021 draft did not come to terms with the New York Mets who were concerned with some things that they had seen uh, in his post-draft physical uh, Kumar Rocker recently revealed that he did undergo arm surgery last year, but he has been pitching this season for the Tri-City Valley Cats and one of the, uh, the MLB partner leagues. Um, is he still a first rounder, Sam? We know that the arsenal is still there. Uh, a guy who, you know, is one of the most decorated and probably most famous college pitchers of all time with what he did at Vanderbilt, um, pitched a 19 strikeout, no hitter against Duke in the NCAA super regional. He picked out, uh, two wins and the most outstanding player selection at the college world series, um, got back to the college world series final in 2021 Kumar rocker, the, the thing that's crazy, he's 22. We've been hearing about him for so long. He's still got his whole baseball life ahead of him, but he's got a lot more uh, on his 22-year-old resume than a lot of other players do. What do we think about where he goes this year? Yeah, I mean, you brought up the shoulder surgery that has now been revealed that he had last fall. I think that was huge for clubs because there was just so there were so many questions, even after he started pitching for Tri-City, of like, yeah, but what happened last year with the Mets? The Mets never disclosed that, hey, we saw something in his shoulder during the, the physical. Maybe it wasn't even the shoulder. Maybe it was something with an elbow or just his general arm. Um, but the fact that he had that shoulder surgery, came back, pitched for Tri-City, an independent ball, and did really well. The stuff was was certainly there. Now it's the Frontier League is not the SEC by any means, so you can kind of put the results off to one side. But stuff-wise, it was there, and that's a huge thing for him coming off such a big procedure and having all those question marks over his head. Now, that being said, he is still somebody who has had shoulder surgery and that it, that comes with a risk that could always come back. It's not like he was pitching seven, eight innings for tri city. It was, it was limited appearances and um, you know, he wasn't pitching a full season there. Like he, he wasn't getting a hundred innings like he would have had he gone back to Vanderbilt. So there are still some questions remaining with him. I think a big wild card here, and it's something a lot of people have started talking about with him is 
yes, he could get back into the first round, but maybe he goes to some of these teams that kind of need bullpen help right now. And they look at him as like, yes, we're drafting him for the future. That's the point of the draft. But hey, if we can, yeah, if we can use him, yeah, his mid nineties fastball is pretty good slider in our bullpen right now. Kind of do what like the Rays did a few years ago with David Price. Remember Brandon um, Finnegan coming up Brandon the Finnegan. year he was drafted out of TCU, made it to the Royals that following, not that following that season. He became the first player to ever pitch in the College World Series and the Major League World Series in the same year. Yeah, I think that and could it, very I mean, much be the model, right? And Brandon Finnegan. I, Kumar Rocker has a higher ceiling than he does. But again, if you're looking, if you're thinking like we're not going to tax on too many innings to this guy, but Hey, we believe in the stuff that has value too. like getting a immediate major league impact out of the guy could be pretty big. Um, so I think that could get him into that twenties area. And, you know, in that twenties area are teams that are contending right now, you know, you're not going to find your rebuilding clubs in the twenties. That's how the draft works. So I'll be fascinated to see where he lands. It definitely seems like he is a first rounder now. There isn't, there isn't that question that like, oh, maybe he'll drop to the second or third round. Um, I think somebody's going to bite on him. It only takes one team. But you know, kudos to him for coming back in the way he did after you know, what was just a disaster of a draft process last year. So that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And you can tune in to the Major League Baseball first-year player draft coming up Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, MLB Network, MLB.com, ESPN will have coverage as well as the draft continues. Uh, And then on MLB.com exclusively on Monday and Tuesday as the later rounds get rolling. And some very intriguing storylines headed into the draft here in 2022. We will step aside. Josh Jackson swings by for Ghost of the Miners next. And then we're back to wrap it up on the other side. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One inspired real cheers, the others merely provoke questions. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Leesville Leapers. B. The Hopkinsville Hoppers. See the Dedham Double Dutchers. Let's jump right in. The Hopkinsville Hoppers launched themselves into the fray as representatives of the bird named for early 19th century Kentucky statesman Samuel Hopper, playing in the Kitty League, that's the Kentucky, Illinois, sometimes Indiana, Tennessee League, in fits and spurts throughout the first half of the 20th century. Hopping in and out of existence like that, the Hopkinsville team may have inspired assumptions that it was hopped up on goofball. <laughs> Why, they had nine lives in the Kitty League. However, it seems the Hopper's moniker came not from any frenetic energy or rabbit-like proclivities, but was born. 
Born of the old newspaper person's penchant for wordplay and necessity for flexible character counts for headlines and subheads and dropheads. As in, any editor not dropped on her head would want a shorter name for a Hopkinsville ball club in a time when many miners' teams were known only by their towns or an unofficial name, or nicknames given to them by the fans or press. Thus, in 1905, when the Hopkinsville Nine played their first season with no working agreement or affiliation whatsoever with the St. Louis Browns, from whom they'd taken their nickname during the previous two seasons, newspapers took to referring to them as the Hoppers and the Hoptown Boys. Hoptown Boys fell out of usage as the years ticked by, but the Hoppers were known in Ot 5 when the team folded about a month before the Kitty League season ended on August 17th due to the Ot 5 yellow fever pandemic, and again from 1910 to 1914, 1922 and 1923, 1935 until the middle of the summer of 42, and from 1946 to 1954. Even to this day, the Hoppers live on as the Hoptown Hoppers of the Ohio Valley Summer Collegiate League. But let's not leap ahead. The Hoppers first reached their greatest heights in 1911, going 78-46 and 46 for the Kitty League's best record. Poor field conditions at the home of the second-place Bolton Colonels, who finished 11 and a half games beneath the Hoppers, canceled the playoffs and the teams were named co-champions. Hopkinsville wouldn't soar to another title until 1947, when its third-place club buried the Madison Miners in the playoffs. In January of 1955, news reports surfaced that the Hoppers had dropped nearly $20,000 over the last two seasons. And Hopkinsville never bounced onto the field that spring. And that's how the Hoppers lost the skip in their step. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these monosyllabic clubs grunted its way through a few seasons in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Adrian Yeggs. B. The Bayonas. C. The Calgary Oz. Want to know the answer? Oof. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is grilling an eggplant, and he's broken the yolk. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. This is where we generally give you our milled TV picks for this weekend or next week. But one thing that we haven't even mentioned... Uh, there is a newly instituted minor league break over the major league all-star break. So the minor leagues are going to be off from Monday through Wednesday of next week. Um, they will resume play uh, coming up on the 22nd of July. So, sorry, I think I said Monday through Wednesday. It's Monday through Thursday of next week. Um, so players can get a little time off to, to rest and recoup in the middle of a long season and all that. Um, but... We do still have some picks for you because we'll have some games going on this weekend and then late next week. Sam, an abbreviated schedule, but what are you watching? Yeah, so I, you know, it, the fact that we're not really going to have many games next week, I'll throw one out for the weekend um, a series that is just wrapping up. And somebody who is not in the Futures game but could have easily have gone there was Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox organization. Uh, he plays currently at single A Salem. 
those games are on Mill TV. So check them out either on Saturday or Sunday. They're going up against Kannapolis. But I just want to shout out Marcel Meyer because in July, through eight games as of recording this, he is 12 for 28 with two homers and four doubles uh, in eight games. So he's batting 429. He's got an OPS above 1,300 in the month. Yeah, small sample. I get that. Uh, but somebody who we were excited about coming into the year at a little bit of a down June is certainly turning things around now. Um, speaking of the draft, you know, going into last year, uh, he was one of the top prospects in the draft completely. I think the Red Sox were elated that he dropped to them. Now he's starting to put all the pieces together. Really good defensive shortstop as well. Um, so if you want to get a reminder of what somebody can look like one year out from the draft, watch Marcelo Meyer with Salem this weekend. Tyler, you said your pick uh, was a little off the wall or a funny one. What does that mean? I have got a pick, Sam. I've got a pick, and it's a good one. So we have access to the internal uh, MLB stats portal, which, of course, keeps all the minor league records as well. And I was looking at the day-by-day schedule for all the minor leagues. So coming up on Friday the 22nd, everybody is back into the pool. They're across the 60 games in minor league baseball scheduled for that day. Only one team has inputted. It's anticipated starting pitcher for that night. And that is the Salem Red Sox, who have ninth-ranked Red Sox prospect Wickelman Gonzalez going to the mound that night. He's the only guy who, at least right now, is scheduled to be going on that night. So congratulations to him and to Salem as they take on the Lynchburg Hillcats. They're my pick. Tune in for uh, what evidently is small business night at Salem Memorial Ballpark, according to the uh, the Salem Sox uh, online schedule. Uh, very exciting stuff. Wickelman Gonzalez uh, and the Salem Red Sox. He probably won't even pitch. I'm just like throwing <laughs> it out there. It's like, oh, no, he's actually going to go on Sunday or whatever it is. Uh, but kind of a throwback weekend because teams are going to have three-game series and then back to the regularly scheduled off day on Monday. So uh, it'll be kind of a, an old-feeling minor league series for teams across that weekend. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's it's kind of fun that they are getting that break, though. I, yeah, I'm a big fan yeah. Of that. It's not fun it's in that like we enjoy watching baseball, but you know, it, it, talk to anybody who's just getting their their way going in uh, pro ball, and they're just like, man, it really is a grind in the middle of the season. Uh, now all of a sudden to have this break, everybody can kind of collect themselves and, and really power through for the remainder of the way. I think is is a great idea. So happy for everybody to get that break next week. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Again, you can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I almost said it's Sam's biz. <laughs> can you, you make an that. alternate handle? Just a Sam's maybe, biz handle. You just retweet point, everything like January. Ben. ben and I should flip jobs. <laughs> That'd be that would be fun. fun. You're on prospect coverage. You got to do the top 30 now, Ben. Um, yes. And I want this to happen. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week.